Galatians is like a long international flight. After a while, you're ready to land. There's only one time on an international flight I didn't want to get off the plane. That's when we actually got moved, relocated to first class because there was a problem and that seat was more comfortable than my bed at home. And I looked at Kirby and said, I, I actually don't want to get off the plane. I can't believe I'm saying this. He said, Tokyo is right outside the door. That's not normal on an international flight for my experience. It's not my normal, right? Galatians is like a long international flight. A few weeks ago, someone asked me, how long will we be in Galatians until it ends? This is the longest series we've ever done at this church in decades. Paul brings it in for a landing today after a long international flight. He's about to land. And where are you people who want the practical part? Because Paul's your guy today. Life in the real world. This is the topic of the rest of the letter. The real world, the, the world that dawns when one is baptized in Christ, the world that's summoned by God and filled with the Spirit. Paul will call this world the new creation. And in the new creation, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they get the headline. Paul says everything in these five chapters is summarized by this one command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But he didn't actually spell it out much further. It's vague. It's the 30,000-foot air view kind of summary. Paul comes from this community, remember, with 613 laws and commands, trained by the rabbis with 613 laws and commands to order their real lives. So we ought to name this. Paul has done a lot of internal work. Now there's one command to summarize them all. Love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does this mean be neighborly? A cheat sheet would be very helpful, right? A, a, a how-to list, but we don't get that. Instead, we get a description of the experience when loving one's neighbor is activated. And Paul uses imagery of fruit. Instead of a tree bearing fruit, it's a fruit bearing spirit. It's likely the most memorized part of Galatians set to the tune, well, a lot of tunes over the generations, like what we heard our kids sing earlier. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the kids' song gets it right. Even though it's odd, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit experienced in a variety of ways. This is the hint to something more. Why don't we get a list, though, like a cheat sheet to help us? At least give us a practical way to express each of these nine characteristics. Joy comes when we do A, B, C, or peace comes when we try A, B, or C, or patience comes when we do A, B, or C, but we don't get any of that. We get cute kids' songs, and we're content that at least these words are in our children's vocabulary. Amen. See, what our children don't sing is the list that comes prior to this one. There's another list in Galatians chapter 5, and it's chaotic, and it's not so neatly organized. It's, it's not three lists of three things. We can call the other list the anti-fruits. The anti-fruits of the Spirit, they're called works of the flesh, because where two or three gather, Paul knows, where two or three gather, what you've got is trouble. Here's the anti-fruit list. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Ever heard a kid's choir sing about the anti-fruits? Yeah, me neither. So, so, we have parallel lists, it seems. And love thy neighbor must include both of these lists. 
What we've turned into a memory verse in kids' music is actually a serious section where Paul describes the struggle between the superhuman powers, what he calls the flesh and the spirit. These are not opposites, rather humans attempting to live in this new neighborhood of freedom, humans attempting to live in the spirit's community. Humans, many of them formally governed by those 613 laws, with a default to order their lives by those 613 laws for the sake of salvation. See, Paul worries, he writes now with a serious tone. Probably in the background is this common way that the moral life was understood in antiquity with a list of vices and virtues, bad behavior and good behavior, and those able to choose the path of virtue had the more rewarding life. In your spare time, look at the parable of Hercules, the par uh, par Hercules at the crossroads. It's a mistake to think that these lists in Galatians, the anti-fruit and the fruit, are lists of moral behavior, the, the bad behaviors, the good behaviors. Why? Because the bad behaviors are not declared as breaking the law, nor are the preferred behaviors named as keeping the law. They're named as results of the flesh living in the spirit of the community. Notice it's a descriptive list. They're, they're not imperatives. They're not commands. And more significant than anything I've named yet, he, hear this one. The fruits of the spirit cannot be commands to you and to me. They describe the spirit's activity, not human activity. This is the fruit of the spirit. This is the spirit's achievement. So we can't grade ourselves on patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, precisely because these are not my good behaviors or my achievements. These are the characteristics of the spirit doing its craft in me and in you. To be clear then, this, this heavy list of anti-fruits, with that list, no one is falling in and out of salvation because of impurity, idolatry, jealousy, anger. No one is falling in and out of community because of dissension, envy, drunkenness. This is not an achievement card. This, this isn't individual or private even because all of the selection of Galatians is plural. It's all of them together all the time. It's all of us together all of the time. Paul's describing community builders and community killers. This is not a record, report card for personal conduct. For those of you listening sent outside the community for bad behavior, the community was wrong. Because when one of us is exhibiting poor choices, that's the time we need our community, not the time to be scorned and sent away. For those of you listening sent away, we were wrong. How many times I've listened to teens and young adults, some now some of them in their 70s and 80s, tell stories of being shamed out of community and membership, a, a pregnancy between teenagers, a drinking problem discovered, Sabbath violations even. These are community killers, but not soul killers. They're difficult and sometimes disastrous, but not deadly to community. Commun the community's character is being transformed and it's messy. These are the marks left on the communities by apocalyptic powers, Paul said. It's too small to read this as individual lists of do's and don'ts. We read too small. The community belongs to the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are evidence of the Spirit. Notice that they're not works of the Spirit. They're not rules of the Spirit. They're not contractual arrangements with the Spirit. The Spirit can't be contained or reduced to community rules and laws. Be who you already are, a community of the Spirit, Paul says. The, the Spirit, it's not given as one more option that we would occasionally call upon, a, an extra resource. The community is, is the community of the Spirit and by the Spirit and for the Spirit. We, we read too small. Love thy neighbor as thyself looks like all of this that I've just mentioned then. Humans living in the neighborhood of the Spirit. 
How could more people be inspired to love their neighbors? Someone asked this in our Tuesday night Bible study a couple weeks ago, and I've not been able to shake that question. Love thy neighbor. How could more of us be inspired to do that was the question. Love thy neighbor and neighborly are not quite the same thing. We know this, right? Uh, we have a retired man in our neighborhood. His, his pastime is to catch the gophers, the, the gophers that pop up in all the yardways back behind the houses, big greenway. He catches gophers Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. He's got a rhythm and a pattern for the whole neighborhood. He wandered into my front yard a couple of months ago because he noticed we had gophers and he said, by any chance, do you want me to get that gopher for you? That, that's being neighborly. It's great. And also, it's not the same as love thy neighbor. If Galatians were a parable, it would be the Good Samaritan parable, I think. Remember when Jesus is asked in Luke 10, and who is my neighbor? And he answers with a story. A man just like you was traveling in the desert and was attacked by robbers and left for dead. And a righteous person passing by, a priest, didn't stop to help. And a second righteous person passing by, a Levite, didn't stop to help. And a third unrighteous and unclean person, a Samaritan, stooped over to clean the wounds and move the man to the closest shelter. Which is the neighbor, Jesus asked, the one who showed mercy. Go, do likewise. It's a masterful story. Jesus sets up good characters and bad characters, the religious person, the good character, and a known enemy, an alien, the Samaritan, a hated character, the bad character. Good clerics, bad Samaritans, though, in that story switch roles, and the Samaritan becomes the hero of the story. Who is my neighbor is answered with, who is your enemy? Go and do likewise. It's the kind of story that makes the listener protest that this can't be. How can you put the word neighbor and Samaritan in the same sentence, get somebody out of this story because this isn't going to work in my neighborhood. Nothing good will come of this scenario. Get someone out of the story. It's like our daughters who traveled on an educational tour years ago. When they left Redlands, they left us five female students from the academy traveling with their teacher and an aunt. When we caught up with them a few days later, they had joined another educational tour when they landed in Rome. When we asked them, how's it going? No wonder everything was just great because they met up with a boys' school from Boston and now 30 teenage boys are traveling with our daughters. Nothing good can come of this. Get someone out of the story now. God will not remove any characters from God's story. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor. On this command hang all the other commands. How can more people be inspired to love their neighbors? What a question. We baptized six people two weeks ago, the baptism right out here in the courtyard of the church. Baptism, accepting Jesus. I think that's the easier part. The difficult part is to become the community of Jesus. And maybe we don't talk about this enough. Maybe we ought to spend more time on the second part of our baptismal reality. We belong to God and we belong to each other. This is the partnership of our lifetime. Be well, we say around here. Be well and love big. We belong to God. We belong to each other. It's a serious and steady decision, friends, and it involves surrender and cooperation and commitment and staying power and grit. And I am keenly aware of how that list falls on the ear of recovering faith by works Christians. I am keenly aware of how this list falls on the ear of exhausted humans already doing difficult work. So hear me out, would you, for a moment? Uh, I listened in on an old song this last week, T. Marshall Kelly from Oakwood University singing this old lyric, it takes everything to serve my Lord.
want the crown But they won't bear their cross It takes everything To serve the Lord Some want bright mansions But they won't pay the cost And it takes everything To serve the Lord I grew up hearing these kinds of lyrics as conditional. You, you do the work, you get the crown. When we understand Jesus is sufficient, when we know we live in the neighborhood of freedom, we can hear these lyrics differently. It takes my everything. Remember, Galatians is not simply a good commercial. It, it's an announcement that Jesus is sufficient and it changes everything. I was reminded recently of something Frederick Beekner said. This has helped me. If you tell me Christian commitment is a kind of thing that has happened to you once and for all, like some kind of spiritual plastic surgery, I say you're either pulling the wool over your own eyes or you're trying to pull it over mine. Every morning you should wake up in your bed and ask yourself, can I believe it all again today? No, better still, don't ask it until after you've read the New York Times, till after you've studied the daily record of the world's brokenness and corruption, which should always stand side by side with your Bible. Then ask yourself if you can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ again for that particular day. If your answer is always yes, then you, should, you probably don't know what believing means. At least five times out of ten the answer should be no, because the no is as important as the yes, maybe more so. The no is what proves you're human in case you should ever doubt it. And then, if some morning the answer happens to be really yes, it should be a yes that's choked with confession and tears and great laughter. Confession, tears, great laughter. It could be any of those any given day. Pastor Otis, let me tell you what he does several times a week. He goes down to the wellness warehouse and he cleans up junk and more junk and more junk because while we've been sheltering at home, People have been dropping off their debris and their junk and using the wellness warehouse as kind of their hangout. And they've been breaking windows and breaking in and tearing things up a little bit. And several times a week, Pastor Otis goes down to the warehouse, rolls up his sleeves and gets messy all over again. He keeps showing up. Is it because it's so rewarding to pick up all this contaminated debris from the neighborhood? He, he keeps showing up because love thy neighbor. It's a deep commitment for him, even when he's not feeling it. I don't want to love my neighbor, some of us say, because I'm a little, insert whatever expletive descriptor you need. My instinct is to check out right now, to go garden, to go cycling, to go float in the pool, to read a book, to go on a hike, to share videos and social media. My instinct is to retreat or regroup with those most familiar to me, because what's happening in our world is hard work. And I've already done enough hard work. If you resonate with that, then may I say to you and to me, take a break, but don't resign. Take a break, but don't check out. Take a break and allow the Spirit to recreate in you. Take a break and then keep on. 
I'm reminded of the community in Ephesus, Acts 19, when Paul went to visit them and he asked about their partnership with God. They told Paul, well, we've heard we needed to repent of our sins, but we didn't hear about this spirit, the one Jesus sends. We've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And you know what happened? Paul baptized them fresh again that day into the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I realize that I'm behaving as if the Holy Spirit is a controlled substance, limited, managed, dispensed at the sound of my prayers. How silly and how small. The Spirit owns the neighborhood church. So today I came to stand back in the space and remember the stories. Remember, remember all the ways the Spirit has owned the neighborhood these generations. I remember students coming across the street on a Wednesday afternoon because they had to get baptized and, and, and friends and faculty from the School of Business showing up to this baptistry in the middle of the week because it was critical for the student. I, I, I remember we, how many times have we gathered here to grieve the loss of infants or beloved professors or gang members from the community. How many times have we gathered here for celebrations or to nations and convocations and consecrations? How many times have we gathered here to do the hard work of listening fresh again? How many times have we gathered to hear the sweet praise from a child and the laments from young adults seeking asylum from countries of origin? This week even, I'm hearing from students who have been waiting asylum for 10 years in our community. I came back in here to be reminded today, it is the spirit who owns the neighborhood. It is the spirit who does this work. It is the spirit that transcends human ability and transforms human inability. It helps me to come back here and remember these stories of what the spirit produced in our community right here. Remember, it's, fr it's fruit produced by the spirit. So if you would accept it again today, be baptized fresh, church, in the unmanageable, unrestrained power of the Spirit. Amen.